0: Well, I normally would say good morning, but it is good afternoon. Breakfast with the broker every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. I mean, Friday at 4. Um, something like that, but today's episode, breakfast, uh, breakfast with the broker, is being brought to you as part of the Pod Populi Podathon, a charity event to raise awareness and money to give kids the World Village, an eighty-nine acre whimsical nonprofit resort in Kissimmee, Florida, that provides week-long, cost-free wish vacations to critically ill children and their families from around the world. To make a donation, please visit gktw dot org. That's gktw as in givekidstheworld.org. So without further ado, and now, by way of Boca Raton, Florida, he is the CEO of the Adolf and Rose Levis Jewish Community Center. He's the former president and CEO at Jewish Federation of Greater Phoenix. He went to Yeshiva University. Boy, he is a husband, a dad, a dog dad. He still thinks he's a comedian. Stand up and make some noise for Marty Haber. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. Let's get ready to catch. <laughs> well, good Shabbos. Shabbat shalom, shabbat shalom. Well, uh, you know, listen, I, it really is a privilege and an honor to have you here and, um, you know, what you've brought to the community um, in the uh, very uh, short, long year <laughs> um, as, a, as the head of the uh, uh, JCC.
1: You know, tell us a little about the JCC and, and, uh, and how your uh, welcoming has been here. Well, it it really has been a a short, long year, and it's been a tremendous pleasure to be here, to be back in Florida, where my family had spent uh, 13 years in Sarasota before we went to Phoenix for seven and now back to here in South Palm Beach, Florida. Um, I started my career 37 years ago in JCC. And I started out as a teen director um, at that time, naive, 24 years old, money doesn't matter, social mm-hmm. worker, who cares? Let's just do what you know. What what love feels like. And it was great working with kids, and I really enjoyed working with teenagers, but it wasn't paying the bills. And um, I took a turn in my career staying in Jewish communal service, and I worked for the Jewish Federation system for uh, all the way up until now. And now here I am full circle at the age of 59 years old, and I'm running a JCC. And I have to say, I feel like a little boy again. I, I love being able to go into a place where every single day I see smiling children. And I have moments where a couple of weeks ago, a young lady with special needs was being encouraged to paint therapeutic ponies and wash them down and was a little nervous when she saw the hose and literally grabbed my hand instinctively and pulled me over there. And at that moment of holding this little girl's hand, I just felt this love and you know, thanked my lucky stars that I get to do what I do every single day. And so there's magic like that and scenes like that that go on every single day. And um, I I feel incredibly blessed to have a hands-on position like that where there's just so many things going on and that shine light instead of darkness uh, into the world. And so... Uh, it's been 10 wonderful months. We have transformed ourselves and we'll see how far you want to take this, David, in terms of what that transformation is and what we're doing. Sure. But the JCC today is not what it was 10 months ago. And I, I hope we've taken some steps forward uh, into the future.
0: Absolutely. You know, I mean, I grew up in the JCC. Um, I've been here for, uh, you know, 45 years and, uh, been born for 49. So, um, you know, JCC has always been a fixture in the community. And, um, you know, I remember going there playing basketball and, 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 you know, and going there to the gym and, and, and the fitness facility was, you know, essentially the, the, you know, the reason why a lot of people went to the JCC, but that's not the case anymore because what the JCC has done, you know, just in the the short, even, you know, whether it's the 10 months and I'm interested to hear, you know, how things are going on now, but you know, whether it's the art and film festival, whether, you know, it's the special needs, I mean, they're doing some uh, really incredible things. And, you know, the reason why I got in the real estate business and the reason why I do breakfast with the broker, was to make a difference, and you certainly are making a difference in the community uh, as the JCC being that fixture.
1: Yeah, and by the way, thank you for being my real estate broker, David. Uh, <laughs> you 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 did a great job, and we love our house. And you know that's a big part of my life. The few minutes every day that I'm not uh, doing JCC, I'm trying to you know put light and 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 brightness and and love into my house. And uh, so thank you for. Oh, it was, was certainly
0: my honor, and, and and you and your family were Lori was was amazing, and and uh, I appreciate
1: it. And Shabbos dinner is coming. I just have to finish a few more things, and we'll <laughs> you know, have you over.
0: You know, but I eat a lot, so just so you know, you know, so I, do I. <laughs> so we're in trouble. We we'll have to have a lot of food. Yeah, I could, but my
1: no, I can't. I can't but my. Butt. That's because we eat <laughs> so much. Yeah, no, I got it. But but but. uh to your question listen i think uh, all of us had to raise our eyebrow with what we've come through and we're not out of it but we're just used to it with COVID. and uh you know community centers and a lot of different kinds of businesses movie theaters hotels cruise ships you name it were challenged and really had to take a hard look at their business models even coming out of those coming out of the the situation Uh, it doesn't mean that people's habits have gone back to what they were before. Things have definitely changed, right? Like, I mean, Zoom, Zoom is not going away, right? We Mm -hmm. may not have to be in those little squares, but (laughs) sometimes we choose to because it's cheaper. It's more convenient. We don't want to get on the road. So Zoom's not going away. Similarly, in a lot of our businesses, we had to ask ourselves the question, what are we going to look like uh, if we can come back when we come back after COVID? And I think in the JCC world where there's 170 um, Jewish community centers in North America, um, there's an old saying, um, if you've if you've seen one JCC, you've seen one JCC. So each one of those 170 is very unique, very much dependent upon, like you grew up here for you know 45 years ago and onward. It's catering to what the local community seems to want to need, it's a doorway for the Jewish community to enter and get involved. And so involvement in some communities is totally predicated on physicality, swimming, maccabi, exercise, baseball, basketball, whatever your thing is. And then there are other JCCs like us right now that don't have those things anymore we we don't do the 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 gym thing anymore and the reason for that if you look around where we live i mean most people live in a gated community here not everybody but a lot of people do and uh, have access in their gated community to some kind of gymnasium situation swimming pools and so are they really going to come through a, a 104 acre campus with a lot of security have to go through all that then find parking and then after all that aggravation you know get inside and begin to work out when you can really go into a orange theory, uh, a lifetime. Uh, I don't want, I don't want to leave anybody out right, out there, right. but uh, LA no, fitness, but right. you got a lot of options. So sure. I kind of felt like if you're not going to be great at what you do, don't do it. And so we, we took a, you know, a rather daring risk to get out of one of the main features. As you mentioned, a lot of people do have recollections of, you know, getting their first kiss in left field when they were <laughs> nine or whatever it was, or maybe 13. Right. Um, but, but, uh, you know, we're not that anymore. So so our emphasis now is on being the central location for some of the best and brightest cultural opportunities there are in the community. And our building is amazing. I mean, this little 22,000 square foot building with 9,000 square feet of pavilions, so 31,000 total square feet, we get 37,000 people coming through our doors. Think about that. 37,000 people come through those doors in the course of a year. We literally have 276 programs scheduled in a 365-day year. This place is humming every single day. I mean, on Sunday, I'm going to be there for a klezmer situation on uh, in the afternoon on Sunday. We have a morning program over there. We have special needs uh, uh, Hebrew school going on. I mean, it just is, it doesn't stop. And it, it really was kind of the best kept secret. A lot of people didn't know how utilized the facility was. I'm not saying that all of this is new programming that started since I got here. It's been going on. But what we have done is we've put a magnifying glass uh, on the Adolph and Rose Levis JCC, which is now centrally headquartered at was formerly the Sandler Center uh, on 95 Avenue South. And so people now know, come see Marty, come see the staff. We're all there. We're in the building. And we do have other uh, spaces on the campus. We have our uh, Zale Preschool and we have our summer camp program, which is all over the place. It still has the feels that you remember being on the (laughs) trapeze on and the swimming pool and the tennis courts. That's all still there. But what is different is that you know that there's a central headquarters known as the Adolf and Rose Levis JCC, where the staff is and where there's a lot of programming going on, where you can come through and view art frequently. You can see theater constantly. And I think the other thing that I've tried to make a little bit different um, in our JCC is I think a lot of JCCs have moved away from the J word. They're community centers, but I frequently ask my colleagues when I'm at conferences or Steve and I ask ourselves, what's Jewish about the Jewish community center? Now we're not there to be a synagogue, we've got synagogues. We're not there to be Chabad, we've got Chabad, but we are there to remember that we are community center with a Jewish spirit. How you define that, that's for the community and for us to decide, but so for instance, you mentioned the um, Judy Levis Krug uh, Boca Raton Jewish Film Festival. I saw a film yesterday about the Baltics, uh, uh, Lithuania and um, uh, Latvia, those areas. And it's amazing. I myself didn't recall how incredibly anti-Semitic those places were, not only during World War II, but are still celebrating now, as recently as 2021, putting up monuments of, of people they believe to be their heroes because they were anti-communist, but at the same time, we're essentially supportive of the Nazis and we're, we're murdering Jews and they're celebrating that. And so, you know, there's constantly things that we could think about that have Jewish content that we need to remember. And that is also important for non-Jews to be aware of as we live in a world, you know, with a lot of xenophobia and a lot of hate.
0: Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, and. You know, I always love that the JCC, really, even though it has the, uh, you know, Jewish laws, the traditions and the customs, but it's really non-denominational, right? There's a lot of um, people who are not Jewish that come there every day um, to, you know, um, watch the films or or use the services or or take a class. Um, And they have some amazing things that that go on. And, you know, as you said, it's a community center. But, you know, taking the J off, I think, is... um, not the, the right avenue to go because, you know, it was built on Jewish customs just because, you know, when you hear the word Jewish, some people don't like that. Um, I want them to hear it more because um, it's more, it's almost as more important for non-Jews to understand that um, being Jewish uh, means that you were persecuted. Now, listen there, you know, um, you know, we're getting into serious topics and all that, but you know, Almost every group has been persecuted. So don't, you know, it's not that the Jews are, you know, are are the only ones. But, you know, living by the customs and traditions and making a difference and continuing to be a good person and being a mention and those kind of things, those are the, you know, the traditions that uh, I want to live by. And I want my generation, I want my uh, kids and and grandkids or whatever, you know, um,
1: to, to live by as well. So one of the great forefathers of Judaism, Hillel, said, um, Love thy neighbor as thyself and the rest is commentary. Basically the whole Torah is love thy neighbor as thyself and all the rest of the Torah is commentary. And that's really true. So when you think about that, that's not just for the Jewish people, that's for everybody. If everybody loved thy neighbor as they love themselves, if you treated other people like you wanted to be treated, that's not a Jewish thing, that's a human thing. And if you Absolutely. behave that way with dignity, respect, consideration about what the other person is feeling, thinking, doing, then you're a mensch. Like you said, a mensch is a, a Yiddish word. For, it means man, which means person, which means good person. And that's really, at the end of the day, what we hopefully aspire to be is good people that are in this world to do good and to be, have a good name by the time we exit. And uh, that's, I know I think about that all the time. What do I want to be remembered for? What? Why did I come here at the age of 59? Really to, to finish out a career with a legacy that says, you know, I came here and contributed something, rolled up my sleeves and helped the community be the best that it could be.
0: Imagine a society where that's it, it, built on respect and dignity and, and treating thy, thy neighbors the way you wanted to be treated. Um, you know, our, our society would be better. And, you know, especially when we talk about respect and, and different perspectives and seeking those different perspectives so that we can understand, you know, how those perspectives are received and, and communicated. So, yeah, agreed. So tell us a little bit about the cha- uh, the changes. I mean, you already told us a little bit about the challenges because, um, you know, I don't know that people understand, especially if they're not, you know, local, understand how daring a change of a taking away the fitness facility or taking away the gym as being the focal point of the JCC, because for years, for decades, that's what, what people said, oh, you want, you want to go to the JCC? Do you want to be a member of the JCC you know, membership? And, and people remember that. They remember the gym and this and that. So when you take it, um, I'm interested in to hear um,
1: how that challenge was uh, navigated and how that obstacle was overcome. Uh, it's a great question. And, and when you think about it, it's a business question. It's not necessarily a it's non-for-profit great. question. It's a business question, right? I, I think back about raising my kids. So I'm already an adult at that point. My kids are the ones we're entertaining, right? And you might remember this. You're a little bit younger than me. But, you know, a normal Friday night, if I wasn't sitting here doing a podcast with you, would have been, you know, 15 years ago, stopping off on my way home from work and going, going to a Blockbuster video. Uh, Wayne Heizenga, right? Yeah. It was in Florida, right? Yeah. Uh, the genius of Blockbuster. Who was still thought, one of them in the nation, by the way? I think it's in Oregon on, I think. But but think (laughs) about the fact that there's one of them. There used to be like two on every block, right? I mean, everybody came home and wanted to watch a video. Forget about before they were DVDs. They were videos, right? right? Everybody had a VCR. And this was the big, amazing thing that we were able to bring movies instead of movie theaters into our house rent a video, sit down with our kids and our family and watch videos all weekend. What right. a concept, right? right? And when these big blue blockbusters were all over the place, did you ever conceive how quickly that empire would fall and it would be gone? And then what took over? Netflix, right? So and then Netflix comes along and what was Netflix? I mean, I remember it was so funny, like at first, These little little uh,
0: discs that came in the the mail. And you're like, why would someone wait three days to get to be able to watch a movie when I could go to the Blockbuster? And and
1: and half the time they were scratched. If you you got it in the mail and in the mail, it got scratched. You put it in and you were so disappointed. You took a little toothpaste because you tried to get the scratch out and and you couldn't even watch it (laughs) because the thing got stuck where it was. And if you remember, it really wasn't doing that well and the stock wasn't doing that well. And then somebody at Netflix had the genius to realize that. Those little discs weren't the thing. It was going to be streaming, right? That word streaming changed everything. The way we now currently watch things, we stream them. It's no longer about a disc. And then they started creating their own content. So it was no longer putting videos that were in the movies. The whole concept changed. And if you were lucky enough to own Netflix stock, which unfortunately wasn't that smart, <laughs> but if you did, you were doing really well. Um, look how great and look at what a change this has made to society and entertainment. So I, I use uh, that as the well, model. Well, and
0: also think about all the people that didn't want to see streaming, right? They didn't want to see Netflix succeed, right? Obviously the blockbuster videos, the Hollywood videos, but not only that, the movie producers and all the, the, you know, the the Paramount and, and all these other different MGM studios and all these different, they didn't want to see streaming content because you're taking users away
1: from, you know, or, or consumers away from their business and 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 a lot of obstacles. So you're raising the whole issue of evolution, right? Sure. So there's a lot of people. So let's use that at like an SAT question, right? right. <laughs> so Blockbuster is to video, uh, you know, is to Netflix, like, you know, the JCC movement was to gyms, was to you know where we are today right so so that's what i thought about i said to myself okay so we've got people that are going to like literally go down in flames i got to work out of my jcc i've got that's the gym i'm going to it doesn't matter that it's in bad shape it doesn't matter that the equipment isn't keeping up with other people it doesn't matter that we're losing x amount of money every year on that business that's that's who we are and we're going to we're going to die on that island we're going to you know we're that that's what we're going to do so that's one perspective another perspective is hmm well if we don't do that what are we going to do right and then the other is to have a vision and say here's what we're going to do so what we did end up doing is after a lot of conversation over really probably a decade of conversation, seeing changes coming and then obviously the, the 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 final punch was was covid where people just weren't coming anymore right so now you've got this big physical property and nobody's coming out to work out or do anything physically so you had to start putting things on video and do other things and offer things to stay alive as you were getting ppp and whatever you had to do to survive um, so while all this is brewing, you know, in my brain, I'm saying to myself, okay, so who are we? What are we going to be? So our JCC today is thriving. Our budget just increased in the past year that I've been here from eight and a half million dollars to $10 million, which is a nice increase for a non-for-profit organization. Our income primarily comes from this very, very phenomenal and successful preschool, Zale, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we have 230 kids, uh, you know, give or take a kid or two in there. And it is a $3 million gross situation for our organization in that $10 million. And,
0: and that's also non-denominational. There's a lot of kids that are not,
1: um, you know, Jewish or, or, or whatnot. Correct. That's not a factor, yeah. you know, if, if you want to go to that school. So to your point, yes. I mean, anybody who wants to come to any of our programs are certainly welcome to come. That is never a factor. We never mm-hmm. you know, look at that yep. at all. Uh, really. It's again about just being Judeo in our, in our philosophies, but not about institutional religious. That's not what we're about. Just, just, considerate of everybody and just love just wanting to be you know loving and, and and welcoming to anybody that wants to enter our, our various doorways through our different 10 flaps you know we just want people to come in so we've got the preschool and we have a summer camp program again as you say a great mix of different uh, divergent uh, personalities and ethnicities i mean the marlene
0: forcus uh summer camp i mean is amazing i mean i will tell you that um you know uh, my middle child Romy who um, we went to night owls with North Broward prep and we went and, and a couple of my kids still, you know, went there or whatever, but Romy had, she was 12 last year or 13 last year. And she just had the time of her life going to Disney and universal and riding all these rides and meeting all these friends. And it was almost like having a teen tour, you know, within a camp. And she just, she can't wait to go back. And now um her younger sister.
1: Uh, Molly's going to go there as well. Fabulous. I and mean, when you keep it in context, listen, we get 700 kids to that camp. It's a lot of kids. We're mm-hmm. responsible. It's a huge responsibility that we take very seriously. You know, these are young children. You're forming their you know, their 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 ethics, their uh you're forming their identity. Uh so it's a very serious and this was what I loved doing as a teen director full circle when I started out working with young teenagers, 13, 14, 12, 15, 16. And uh, you know, seven hundred kids. Again, this is a two point six million dollars gross operation and a ten million dollars budget. So it's a big deal for us. Big staff, just a big business in and of itself. So this is the second in, in in our handful of businesses that we run at the JCC, which we take very very seriously. Again, making sure that the content is both physically engaging and um, ethically engaging, with a little touch of Shabbat each Friday night. That I actually. Uh, participate in with the lighting uh, of the candles. I your the emails. Hawa. You see, <laughs> and that's again, that yeshiva mm-hmm. education that I thank my parents for because who knew that that was going to come in handy professionally, but it, sure. it does help me, which is great. And so that's another factor. And then as you mentioned, I mean, over the last you know number of years, the development of this film festival, this Judy Levis Krug, uh, Boca Raton Jewish Film Festival with 80 films, 80 films that are already kind of going on, but the official startup of the of the festival is like March the 5th until March the 26th. I mean, we have a month long, uh, you know, just just parade of, of of amazing hand-picked films by volunteers who sit and watch literally 700 films to glean out the 80 that they want us all to see. And, uh, you know, again, if you go through this or you see one or eight or 80 of them, it's educational and it, and it, and it affects your perspective on all sorts of different topics. And it's such as Israel and Europe and locally and the Holocaust and many, many other things. And it's uh, I learned so much about some of the heroes of humanity and the heroes of Judaism through watching films over the years. And it's, it's, it's a great piece. My, uh,
0: my friend actually um, uh, directed uh, a movie called I Mordecai. I Mm -hmm. don't know if you've seen it or not, but uh, um, it's uh, a, it's a pretty good movie. It talks about, um, you know about where he came holocaust survivor and stuff like that and uh it's a uh, interesting i don't know if it's gonna be played there but it was played at the miami jewish film festival and stuff like that and uh, you know now it's uh in, in theaters but uh you know it, it, you know it's interesting because you get to look when you go to these film festivals you get to look firsthand it's like going to a premiere i mean they make you feel welcome and and, and you're watching like something really special. And then this content that they put on is just amazing. It's not it's not your normal content, you know, that you're streaming on uh, Netflix or Hulu or whatever. It's content that, you know, really hits home. Um, you know, some of it's lighthearted, but most of it
1: is, you know, just telling the stories of of, of how we are and where we've gone. Yeah. To your point, you know, you meet like yesterday, for instance, I saw this movie and and Dudu Fisher, the great Dudu Fisher from Broadway, Les Miserables and so many other things was there to not only did he was he in the movie as the as the. moderator in the movie, but he was the moderator of questions and answers after the film with the producers. So yeah, you get to meet producers and actors and famous personalities and you engage in back and forth conversation pre and post watching the film. So it's more than just going to the movies or sitting in your, in your living room and watching a film. It's, it's interactional and you get to meet a lot of people. You come in there, it's very exciting. And uh, that's that's a third thing that we do. And then, of course, you know, the film festival is a piece of our Sandler Center, which for the past 20 years has just been doing amazing things in this location where the Adolph and Rose Levis JCC is now located and continues to do that. I mean, it, it is the place to view incredible artwork. And uh, right now we're doing an exhibit on um, uh, gold and silver uh, and bronze medalists uh, that were Jewish during World War II, during the during the war and during the Holocaust, and who ultimately, unfortunately, were killed by by Hitler, uh, you know, were put into concentration camps and killed. And we are highlighting who these boxers and runners and fencers and people, you know, many people have never heard of. And it's just really important to remember them and uh, to learn about them and their bravery and what they endured and that they were champions. And so that's going on right now in that building. And so, uh, and then while that's going on, you walk down the corridor, I'm seeing it in my head, and people are doing all sorts of pottery and clay work and ceramics. And, you know, so culture and art and, you know, is is really important. And in this day and age, as you know, in our education systems, all of that's been removed, all of that's been cut out. So much of that's been cut out, right? Whether it's Shakespeare, whether it's you know, music that people used to standard when, if you were a public school kid growing up, you know, you got some music. A lot of that has been cut out of curriculum. Um, so we, you know, have 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 taken up the responsibility to make sure that we highlight, the, again, and we believe as a people, um, we should highlight the beauty of, of life through reading and book clubs and art and viewing art and purchasing art and jewelry and know, making things. And, uh, uh, and a lot of people resonate to that. And, you know, you mentioned the camps, one of the one of the summer camp programs we have, which I've, you know, I was always a a kid that all I ever wanted to do was play softball. So this wouldn't have been for me. (laughs) But you know, watching the kids that are not interested in playing softball or doing sports come in and go to theater camp and actually putting on shows and learning how to be actors and actresses and singers. And, uh, it's really cool. I mean, I, you know, I'm learning as I go. And as I meet these phenomenal personalities that are different than I was when I was a kid, but it's beautiful to see that side of that people have alternatives. If they don't want to sit and play basketball all day and they want to do stuff like that, that they can.
0: That's exactly my middle child, Romy. She, uh, she definitely uh, she she takes she wants to go on rides and amusement parks and all that kind of stuff and has no interest in sports and uh, and and is uh, um, didn't get my athletic genes I guess <laughs> or something like that. There you go, Marty. What does leadership mean to you?
1: So I, I think leadership means being honest. I, I think you have to take a hard look at things and you have to. Pull yourself. You can't be influenced by what you see to the left or see to the right. You have to be authentic, and you have to be brave enough to follow your conviction. If you know something to be true, you have to trust your instincts. And it's funny how you can really create reality, and people will get behind you. You have to be passionate. I think leaders are passionate people. Um, I, I believe that passion is a um, energy multiplier. People want to be near energetic people. People have told me as a public speaker that. Most of the time they're not gonna remember eighty percent of what you say, but they're gonna remember how you said it. Man, he was amazing. What did he say? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> but he was amazing because they 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 felt the eyes, they felt the voice, they felt well, the, like the heart, you know. It's like
0: the Maya Angelou quote, you know, you know, you may not always remember what I said, but you always remember the way you made me feel. And and that's what happens when you go into the you know, when you're talking about passion and confidence and conviction, you know, we sometimes second guess ourselves when we're around someone who has conviction or confidence, even though they may be wrong. We, we sometimes <laughs> have a problem because we're, you know, some people are followers and some people are leaders and, you know, and, and it's okay to be a follower. Like, you know, if that's what
1: you are, that's who you are and whatever, you know, I, I think that that's absolutely admirable as well. I think leaders take responsibility. Uh, you know, leaders don't wait for, to, to to blame somebody else. They blame themselves. Leaders are usually the hardest. I, you don't have to, be, you don't have to beat up a leader. A leader mm. will be the first to beat up themselves. Um, they push themselves. They're driven. Um, they're going to look at the, the clock and say, oh my God, like it's three hours past, you know, because they're just so in it. And my father, I always trusted my father when he said, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Sure. And that's true about leadership. If you're leading you're not going to think about the fact that you're working. I mean, you're you're leading, and that's what you're doing. And I just came back from a phenomenal conference in Atlanta where there was this incredible educator, and uh, he 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 likened the leadership role to be a bus. You're all on a bus, and on the bus there are the runners, and the runners are setting the pace for how fast the bus is going. And then there's kind of like. Uh, uh, the middle ground people the joggers and the joggers are cutting a hole in the bus they put their feet down and they keep up with the pace that the that the runners are setting so if the runners are setting 60 miles an hour their feet are going and they're going 60 but they're not going to go 61 they they f- they're just following the pace of the of the runners and then of course the the walkers are the ones that are on the back of the bus their feet are up completely and they're letting the joggers and the and, and the runners you know basically they they're there for the ride right. so you know leaders I, leadership is not an easy thing. I mean, leadership requires work and uh, rolling up the sleeves and uh, really, you know, kind of challenging yourself. And and I also think it requires responsibility, humility. Uh, and as I say, uh, at the end of the day, a leader uh, takes the hit for the others, never blames anybody else, uh, always takes the responsibility for themselves.
0: Great. So um, what makes a good realtor? You know, you've um, you've uh, experienced r- real estate um, in the many areas that you've gone to. Um, I'm sure there's you know good stories, different stories, or what have you. Um, what makes a good
1: realtor? So I think an authentic realtor, which is a good realtor, is somebody who really cares and wants to know, wants to get to know the, the customer that they're working with and wants to truly learn and listen. They're not selling. They're not saying, hey, Marty, you need to buy this tie. You need to buy this pair of shoes. You need to buy this briefcase. They're saying... At this phase of your life, what are you looking for to be to make your dwelling place? Your 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 special place, your magic place. What do you need, and I will help you get there. It's not about oh, I've got this house, let me sell it to you. And it's certainly not about worrying about whether you're going to make money or profit, because I think if you're good at it, you're going to anyway. Sure. But I think it's just like it's like the word. I think of I, I, believe it or not, I think a good realtor is a philanthropist. What does the word philanthropy mean? Most people think philanthropists are money givers, but if you look in the dictionary, the word philo means love, like Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And if you ever took Anthropology in college, Anthro's people. So a philanthropist is a lover of people. I think a good real estate person is a philanthropist, is a lover of people. When you met David, Marty, and Lori Haberer, and you said, okay, so what's your situation? You're moving from Phoenix. What are you leaving? What did you love about your house? You know, what are you going to miss? What are you looking for here? How can we... You know, either emulate what you had if you loved it or do better than da 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 da. And you're what you're really trying to do is enable the person to help figure out. And if they can't figure it out, help them focus on what it is that's going to make them happy. And then you know, the challenge that when you're dealing with a husband and a wife, if you're dealing with a couple, it's like, well, that's a little tricky because sometimes the husband and the wife think they both are on the same page. But oftentimes, as you know, from watching these wonderful HGTV and all yeah, these, they're, they're, they're never they're, on the same page, they're not in line. The, the <laughs> wife wants white and the husband wants yeah, this and right. the guy wants a man cave and the woman. So and they both get they both don't get what they want. So, But the compromise, right? That, then you're helping them compromise sure. to live in this dwelling together. But I think, and, and I did see this in you, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on your show, but you know, we keep in touch. And I know you continue to take an interest in the home that, that you sold me as we develop it. I truly get a sense that you actually, like, why should you be interested? I think the guy that flipped my house. It doesn't care anymore. He took his check and he was gone. I've never seen him again. That's right. a different story. But you, I think, want to see like, wow, look what you did to this house. Okay. You love this house. Okay. You improved this house. I care about that. I care that you're happy in your house. I, I think it's about caring about the customer, not caring necessarily about it's just another dollar sign. I I made another 6%. I made another 3%. Like I said, I think good realtors, just like good fundraisers or Good, not for profit. If you're good at what you do, money's going to come. But money should never be the reason you're in it. I think a good realtor actually cares about creating a wonderful home. And and, and what what's more important, you know? Like I remember when people sell me my beds, the mattress. You're going to spend one third of your life in bed. You're going to spend one third of your day in bed. You need a mattress that works for you. And that, that there's actually truth to that. I'm not sure. a mattress salesman, but when you think about that, it's like yeah, it's not just a mattress. It's one third of your day even more so with your house, right? When, you, when you're selling somebody a house, they're gonna be in that house, whether it's for five months or a year or 50 years, but it's a significant uh, purchase. It's a major investment. They say one of the most stressful things is buying a house and moving. Um, so I would think that a very compassionate realtor who actually is trying to hone in on not what he wants or she wants, but truly what the couple is looking for, um, trying to figure that out and help them find that I think that's what's, what a great realtor does.
0: You know, and there's, I mean, in all honesty, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing the work being done on the house and the love of the house. So like, or, you know, it it's it just, you know, listen, money, you know, it, you don't work for money, despite what people think. You, you, no one works and says, all right, I, I need to make money because Of the money, right? Because the money technically is just a piece of paper. There's literally no intrinsic value on this piece of paper, you know, figuratively, right? Um, However, it funds the things that you want to do or whatever. But if you make a difference in people's lives and you are, um, you know, and not care about the money, because my mom was in the real estate business for 30 some odd years. And, you know, she always said the, the first rule of thumb is never think about the money. So, you know, when people, when realtors look at it and, and they say, oh, well, it's a $600,000 house and I'm getting X amount of percentage and, and they start calculating the, the commission, you know, before they've even wrote the contract. And no, 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 no. Because when you do that, your decisions and the advice that you've given are biased. They've become about the money rather than about, what the consumer needs. And I, I think that, you know, hopefully most realtors or the or even consumers listening to this show are going to understand that, like, you need to find, because choosing wisely is very important right now, um, that real estate professional, choosing that real estate professional to, you know, navigate some of the obstacles, especially on your primary residence, whatever you need, maybe it's a second home or investment property, but finding that person that is going to care about you and not think about the money and not make decisions and advice based on the money that they're going to receive and more based on the needs that you need. Yeah. That makes a lot of
1: sense to me. And, and, you know, Winston Churchill said you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. Mm -hmm. And I think that's even true for a real estate agent. I think that, you know, you make your living by what you get, but you're going to make your legacy by what you give. And if you give somebody the time, the love. And again, you know, that of uh, what I loved about you, what I loved about, frankly, my buddy in, um, um, in Phoenix, uh, was you could call him at seven o'clock, you know, at night, nine o'clock at night, Sunday at, at seven thirty in the morning. And he was working for me. You were working for me. You're gonna come over. You're gonna be at the house. You're gonna be available. That's a big piece, right? I mean, uh, uh, there was an actor who I know, but I won't use his name because he's not popular right now, but who once said 80% of life is being there. Show up, just show up. 80% of life is showing up. And, and I think if you're one of those people that you show up Marty and Lori need you there, you're there. You're mm-hmm. available, you're answering calls, you're getting back to people. These are basic, I mean, it doesn't sound like it's rocket science, but but it does have to do with the person's, as you said, menschlichkeit. It's, it's, it's about, hey man, I owe that person the dignity, the respect of a phone call back, of a text back. They're worried, they're concerned, they're moving, they're coming cross country, I mean. So yeah, you have to take that really, really serious. And I think when you do all those things, um, the, 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 the living takes care of itself. Good realtors, as you know, make, can make a pretty good living. And I think good realtors who'd make a good living usually do so because they don't have to advertise. People say, hey, you want my guy. You want my gal. You want this person who was just spectacular. And it's a lot of it is word of mouth. That that the person is just not going to steer you wrong, knows the market, knows the area and just does the things right. You know know
0: who does the best? And I don't even know how to describe it, but like. I always think from a word of mouth and referrals and, and things like Israeli tour guides, right? Like everyone has my guy, right? Like, oh, you got to use my Israeli tour guide, you know? And everybody's
1: uh, name is Shraga. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Well, you by- got to have my Shraga. <laughs> no, my Shraga. You know, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. My, I mean, I still remember my tour guide. I still keep in touch with David Sussman. And, uh, and he, you know, he was just so phenomenal. And then like, you know, people come out and they use different tour guides. Oh, no, this guy was phenomenal whatever you know um you know if realtors can get to that point you know the the issue i think or the main issue um, due to professionalism is that 52% of all realtors don't do a single transaction in a year and 66% do three or less so when you have an industry that is you know 34% do four transactions in a year or more eh, you know it, it's a little tough to find that professional so you know don't always use your mom your friend or your you know your friend or whatever you know use the person that you trust mostly so anyway that's my uh that's my uh i guess uh thing um you know we talked about the jcc and um when it's brought to the community and and being a community advocate is so important but i always end my podcast on two questions all right and um, one is, and, and I, I don't know if you have time to watch uh, streaming TV, but if you do, uh, what is your favorite all-time streaming show or series uh, or movie?
1: Um, and what are you currently watching? So my favorite movie of all time, and I've actually made reference to it even in here is It's a Wonderful Life. And it's really interesting because a lot of people think of It's a Wonderful Life as a Christian movie because it you know, celebrates Christmas at the end and all that. But I just think it's the perfect movie. First of all, young Donna Reed, oh my God, she's just (laughs) this gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful actress, mature beyond her years, the wife that she's made to be on, you know, who's putting up wallpaper and raising kids and just the rock of the family. I fell in love with Donna Reed, Uh, Jimmy Stewart. My God, what an amazing actor Jimmy Stewart was. And that was the time when so many great movies were coming out, but you know, I've watched that movie probably 30 times. I owned when, 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 when you first bought videos when they came Mm -hmm. out for like $109, I bought that movie. (laughs) Uh, I've had it in video, I've had it in CD. We watch it all the time. there's a movie that you can live by it's a bible in and of itself Uh, it it ends with no man is poor who has friends i mean it's just phrase after phrase that again if you want to be a a human being a good human being and you and and you see what the world is like for somebody who did good if they weren't in the world all the people he connected and all the good that he did i mean that to me i I could watch that put me on a desert island and set me up i'll watch that as my only movie. it. that's the one and what was the second question what are you currently watching what are we currently watching? It's interesting, I'm actually between things. I was watching a lot of those um, haunting movies, the the haunting yeah. of uh, this and the haunting of that. I forget the two, one is the prequel and the other is the, the, yeah. the and they were really good. I, I've always been into, a little bit into the macabre. I like, mm-hmm. not necessarily, I'm not the Freddy Krueger horror guy, although right. I like that too, but I, I prefer, again, this idea of, you know, uh, I loved Twilight Zones and I mm-hmm. loved Rod Serling and I, I love the idea of a world beyond this world but that has meaning, you know, like, you know, like, you know, even ghosts that are suffering and why are they suffering? I remember as a kid growing up, uh, uh, the film of, with uh, Lou Costello and Abbott about being ghosts in the well. I don't know if you remember it, you're younger than me. It was an incredible yeah. thing. They were haunting the well I'm from the 1700s. i not to
0: age you, but that might be before my time. Might have been before your time. But, <laughs> <Just> these, <kidding. laughs>
1: but they, they they stick with me, those type yeah. of movies. And um, fortunately, Laurie enjoyed watching those two things with me, too. That just happens to be the last thing we just finished up. Um, I'm open to some new stuff, but we like everybody else, we've been digesting yeah. an awful lot of uh it, it, lot of Yeah, stuff.
0: it's different. I mean uh I mean we finished uh Fauda. Um loved it. Just you watched know, that. that was, binged uh, it. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that was uh it was really good. I, I like watching for me, I like watching nonfiction stuff. Like things that are just, you know, are, are really, really good and, and and understand. Um I actually just um what is it called? Um Oh my god, Woodlawn. It was a movie of uh about a high school in Alabama because I'm a big University of Alabama fan went there and whatever. And um Go Tide, is that it? That, yeah, yeah, Roll Tide. Roll Tide.
1: There you go. Yeah. So,
0: um Woodlawn is about a um it was like one of the first high schools that was sec- you know integrated in um in alabama in in birmingham and you know the and the football team and how it came, had to come together and it actually you know th- there was like this gentleman who is his name's well he's played by sean astin um and he goes in there and he and he and he kind of um puts like faith in it and um He's not a pastor, but he want maybe a wannabe pastor. But he's like a motivational speaker talking about Jesus and talking about all you know, God and Lord and all this other different things. And all of a sudden, the team you know does, uh, and it's a true story, and 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 Bear Bryant's in it and stuff like that. So it, I thought it was really good. It's actually a story of Tony Nathan who um, was the running back for Miami Dolphins. And um, it was recommended by a friend of mine. So uh, I would highly recommend a, the movie Woodlawn. I think it was maybe
1: done six years ago. I need something so. to watch. Maybe I'll watch yep. it tonight. Yep. But I like things like Vision Quest, and yep. I like those motivation. I've always been a big Rocky guy, yep. oh. Rocky Kid stuff. I mean, yep. just, you know, it's stuff that makes you go, Coach Carter. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. These are all, like you say, people who motivate, bring out the best in people. <laughs> and it's amazing sometimes, you know, that the people who bring out the best in people that are better than them in the things. To be a great coach and be a great teacher doesn't mean you have to be great at the thing that you do. Sure. funny, right? You look at baseball, that the guys that are teaching people, the hitting coaches, maybe never made it to the major leagues or, hit, or had a lifetime average of 220, and they're teaching these guys that had a 330 batting average how to hit. How does that work? Because to teach is different than to do, um, and it requires a different set of of uh, of, of, of skill sets uh, to be a good yeah, teacher.
0: Very rarely do you have a top-notch, you know, Hall of Fame player, also,
1: be a Hall of Fame coach. I'm going to turn the tables on you. Yeah, and ask a question. Sure. As we get to the end, uh, can you name one or two or three teachers in your entire learning from kindergarten all the way up to however high you went to school that actually made a significant impact in your life?
0: Sure. Um, fifth grade. Um, her name is Miss Barry. I don't know where she is now. Um, she was uh, phenomenal. Um, she put me in a in a um, like, I don't even know if you want to call it crash course, but she really put my math on the map. And how I mean by that is she drilled the multiplication tables into my head, addition, the division and whatnot, so much that she put me on these academic games where I was going into competitions and whatnot. So now when people look at me and, and they tell me to add things quickly, it's like a calculator and I'm able to add, multiply and stuff like that you know, um, not as easy as it was 10 years ago, but it's still, uh, it still, it still comes to me every once in a while. Um, my, my second one I, I would say is, and uh, uh, she's actually a Facebook friend, Joyce Salaya. Um, she was at Spanish River High School. She was a uh, world history teacher and um, uh, she's since retired, but she's, she was just always very encouraging. Um, the way she taught, I thought was very good. And uh, so th- those are the two teachers that I remember just, you know, briefly offhand. But, uh, you know, the teachers are so important. And, and my daughter, um, Emma, who I might have already gotten a text. I don't know if she got an the UF or not, um, you know, whether she did or didn't. That doesn't really matter. She's going to college and she's a good kid or whatever. But she's majoring in elementary education. And, um, you know, I don't know that she's going to be a teacher, but she is, um, you know, it, we need very We need good teachers. We need, you know, people who really see the value in people and are encouraging and um, are able to teach not just to a group of people, but teach to individuals because each individual learns differently.
1: Yeah, and so when you go through that exercise, if you ask that question, um, in future, podcasts, yeah. you see how hard it is. Some people can't even name one. And if you're lucky, if you can name one, two or three, and when you do have one, two or three, look at the impact they had on your life, whether sure. they fixed your math head or whether they made you a Shakespeare expert <laughs> or they taught you how to memorize something great or or if it was a rabbi that did whatever. But I mean, it is amazing when you do find somebody who reaches you. Uh, what an impact they have, how special that is. And what a pity it is that for all the teachers that come and go in our career, we can only name one, two, or three. Right. Uh, you know, look look how many don't do anything. And if you if you talk name.
0: about a if you talk about a third one, <clears throat> although he wasn't directly a teacher, um we um Samantha and I were married um in B'nai Israel, but we were married by Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, who is now the uh the rabbi at uh Boca Synagogue, but he was I think assistant rabbi at the time. And he made us for 6 months i met with him and the amount of um not just education he gave me but the amount of life um coaching um and you know i don't speak to him all the time but i consider him a very good friend even though you know we, we may have only spoken you know twice in the last 10 years because i I value his friendship during those six months.
1: That's great. I yeah. love that. Yep. Wonderful. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for being on the show. Marty Haberer, CEO of the Adolf Levis and uh, JCC.
1: Um, where can they find you? They can find me at uh, martyhaberer11 at gmail.com. Okay. They can find me on my cell phone at 480 886 Nine zero zero nine. I'd love to give him a dream tour of the facility and show them not only what we are, but where we're going.
0: Yeah. And for those that are um, you know, on the east side of town that uh, that like to, to network and happy hours, there are east side. Look, look at the uh, JCC east side. Um, it's a really cool uh, thing that uh, Elliot Popper um, started and uh, continued with. Uh, um everyone else and uh, it, it it's a good networking opportunity so uh don't forget to please support give kids the world by visiting gktw.org and making a donation your caring goes a long way towards the care of these kids and their families thank you breakfast with the broker every tuesday morning at 9 a.m